Welcome to the Acts 29 U.S. South Central Podcast. I'm Bob Thune, and I'm glad to be your host for this episode. Acts 29 is a global family of church-planting churches. The U.S. South Central Network of Acts 29 is focused on church planting in the states of Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Texas. On this podcast, we take the best content we have on church planting and church leadership, and we make it available to you to equip and encourage you in gospel ministry. On today's episode of the podcast, you'll hear from church planting veteran Bob Fox. Bob planted Red Mountain Community Church in Mesa, Arizona in 1990. He led that church for almost three decades and then handed it off to a younger leader. He still serves on the staff at that church and spends a lot of his time mentoring and investing in younger pastors and leaders. Bob also happens to be my uncle, and he joined us in Oklahoma City recently for an event focused on longevity in pastoral ministry. I I created a document as I was leaving the lead pastor where I wanted to write down um, mistakes I'd made, goofs. And I, I said, let me identify five mistakes. And so I did. Then the list grew overnight to 10. And then the more I thought about it, I kept adding. So it's actually close to 20 things now, uh, mistakes I made. And I didn't pick up the trivia. This is stuff that was dumb and uh, dumb taxes uh, that I paid along the way. And I felt led a couple weeks ago to, that I should start sharing some of those things with you, kick off the session, because it sets a tone. It sets a tone. I don't want anybody to think here that you'll become such a good pastor and church leader, you never make a mistake, because you will. They're, they're part, of, part of it, and you have to live with your mistakes. And uh, that's why Jesus died, to help us through those moments. So let me, let me start with just giving you some mistakes I made in ministry. Number one on my list is, uh, is this. The times I allowed my devotional life to become more about learning facts or just part of a checkoff list than hearing God. And I start there because if you get that right, the rest of these mistakes uh, are minimized. But none of us get that totally right, and I didn't either. And so I... I set up a rigorous devotional habit for myself, and by the way, that's worth fighting for. That's a critical thing, is your personal life in Scripture and with the Lord personally. But what would happen to me is I would, I would get up early to do it in the morning, and uh, it became a task at times. And the Lord was so good about this morning, and just telling me, hey, you know, I'd like you to just hang out with me this morning. I'd just like you to hear from me, and I'd like to hear from you. Uh, what's really bothering you? Don't give me the mechanical prayer list. I don't think anything's wrong with that list, but it seemed like the Lord would just say to me, you know, Bob, I really am interested in just you blurting out what's going on, because I want to help you process that. But, but sometimes it would go a week, two weeks, uh, a month, and just be that mechanical thing. I, I really do regret that. Uh, looking back, I realized that was, uh, that was the mistake that led to many others. So you never get uh, to a point where you're hearing from the Lord so good that you can afford to 
quit building your grid. And that's what I think a devotional life does. It builds your grid of walking in the Spirit. Now, when I first started walking with the Lord, my grid was about like this, just two bars. And I had to add a lot of grid to that so that I could sort out the Spirit's voice from mine. And uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord held me true to that, but he made me realize that it's not just the ideals that you're getting from Scripture. I want you to hear from me. And I want you to uh, have practice every day practicing that. And so that's my number one mistake that I put on my list. It's, again, I want to reiterate, this is worth fighting for. I don't think I got my devotional life really in order till I was 50. I really think so. Uh, you're raising children. Um, it's hard to get a quiet spot. But the rhythm is worth fighting for. And I would urge you to do that as you plant churches, as you pastor churches. Uh, just develop the self-awareness of knowing when you've, it's getting too mechanical. Uh, a devotional life has to be refreshed uh, often. Uh, second mistake I think I'll dwell on for a second is I, I didn't really understand, you know, as you're working with people, I didn't really understand that the second decision they make is what will shape their life. Uh, think of the story of the two sons that's recorded in the gospel. One said, I won't, and then repented. One said, I will, and then didn't go. Uh, I remember reading that one day when I was dealing with the aftermath of a staff departure that was pretty ugly. And I realized that uh, in spite of my talks and my appeal to the person repeatedly, they were making a second decision every time they left one of those talks. I counseling, in all the different, they made a second decision. And I began to notice in marriage counseling, in all the different counseling things you do and discipleship work you do, you find people make a second decision after talking it through with you. And uh, I was letting my hopes get up by the first decision. And I felt so devastated when the second one happened. Now when I counsel people, I'm involved in those conversations, I tell them, you know, by the way, you're going to make a second decision tonight, tomorrow. And I always follow up a hard conversation within a week and just say, hey, man, I know. And I, I look for two things. I know, number one, I could have said some things wrong. And is there anything I need to hear from you about what I said and how I said it? How did it make you feel? And the, the other is, what was your second decision? And uh, I, I think learning that... Uh, if I'd have known that earlier, I could have saved myself a lot of pain and probably people a lot of pain. Uh, thir third mistake I'll identify is in desiring to maintain good relationships and continuity and to avoid turmoil, I, I hung on to some leaders too long. And that's true at the pastoral level, but also just the layperson level. Um, you all have people in your churches that are critical. And when I was young, it seemed like I... I thought you could silence the critics by giving them a voice, a big mistake. And so there came to be a man that made it as far as our elder board as a, as a critic. And um, I finally dealt with it. I finally dealt with it. And he left in a huff. It was nasty. It was ugly. Three years later, he was thrown in prison for molesting his kids. Now, not every story is that bad. 
But uh, that, that taught me something, having made that mistake, that uh, you just better be careful about opening the door to people that aren't quite with you. Um, so that was a goof I made. And then uh, another, another goof was not breaking the elder board. Uh, I don't know how many of you lead through an elder board and lead with an elder board. Various churches do that different. But we, we had an elder board from day one. And, uh, or early, I should say. And not breaking the elder board into groups with specific responsibility and accountability according to their gifting. And having them all do everything meant they did the New Testament again. That was always my... And uh, I, I learned that... I went to the New Testament again. That was always my guide. And I, I saw that elders really were involved in teaching. There was a teaching function. There was a shepherding function. You know, pray for the sick and, and those types of things. Uh, there was also a, uh, a ascending function in Acts 13. We see them sending out Paul and Barnabas, them involved in that. And then uh, there's, there must have been an administrative function. They just had to, I suspect, take care of monies that came in and, and so on and give oversight to that. And then there was, a, there was also a, a leadership oversight function. And so what we did early at Red Mountain is we created subgroups in the elder board where two or three elders would be on one one of the groups that oversaw the shepherding or oversaw the teaching, gave oversight and vision to those things together. And uh, we broke the board up into those functions and it made all the difference in the world because those subgroups could meet during the month We'd come back for one meeting once a month. We've always done that. And we were actually productive in the meetings because things have been envisioned, things have been implemented, things have been overseen. And we give reports, and it, and it really uh, multiplied more the leadership of, of the pastors. Uh, and I could talk a lot about the dance between elders and pastors because that's what it is. It's a, there has to be a lot of give and take. But, but that, that single thing of entrusting it to to the men in the area and giving them actual oversight, they, they did a great job with that and they came alive as elders. Um, so that was, that was a mistake that I got through. And then in hiring staff, this was the most awful mistake I made. Um, and it was about a third of the way into my tenure at Red Mountain. For some reason, uh, I began to hire staff that were smart, not healthy. And it was a killer. Um, and there is a difference, you know, when you go along as your church grows, there's a different kind of staff person you need. There's no doubt about that. But uh, some of it was my own arrogance. I hired a couple of staff members who, I call it the, nobody else could not be healthy. And you know what I thought? I made this mistake. I call it the, nobody else could ride this horse, but I can mistake. And rather than listen to references, I thought, I'll ride this horse. They haven't had as good a pastor around them as me. And, <laughs> and this will, I'm amazed at the transformation that's going to happen. And uh, so I hired guys that weren't, weren't healthy. And uh, it was about a two-year journey down. And then once we dealt with it, about a two-year journey back up. Now, mind you, we we didn't just dismiss those guys. We, we explained to them what we thought they were, and we offered help to them. One of them took it, and he's still in our church, and the Lord is using him all over the world. 
Uh, the other one just decided, no, I don't want to do that. And we've had opportunity to minister to them and minister to him through some crises that have happened in his family, uh, but, but he didn't take the help. So that was a big mistake. Hire, hire healthy. You can make anybody smarter, but uh, it's tough to get back from the, the uh, downturn in health. Um, so those are, those are a handful of mistakes that I could, I could go on and on about mistakes, and I, I want you to know that they aren't fatal. They really aren't fatal. As a young leader, I, I suffered from what I would call now imprecise competence. I was competent. I was called to the Lord. I knew a lot about a lot of things. But, but the precision wasn't quite there. Uh, the Lord had to develop me and help me be precise. Now, if you're not precise, why, you'll make some mistakes and they'll get bigger. So I think that's how we have to understand ourselves as developing pastors, that we do have this imprecise competence. And the Lord couldn't be prouder of us, but there's things he wants to help us through as we move through some of those things. Thanks for listening to the Acts 29 U.S. South Central podcast. For more information about Acts 29, go to acts29.com. For information specific to our work in the South Central U.S., visit acts29ussouthcentral.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our email newsletter, you can learn about our church planter assessment process, and you can find out about upcoming events like our one-day church planting mini-conference taking place this fall in Houston. Again, that website is acts29ussouthcentral.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you again next time.